Sucker, written by Mark Lingain, narrated by Mark Lingain, copyright 2014, episode 10. You got a nice place, I said as I glanced around Lara's fancy apartment. She lived up above Fernando Drive, which edged along the Westland Scarp between the valleys before trailing down into the basin. The basin lights, always in the state of being browned out and dimmed by the high level of diesel pollution, flickered occasionally as the politicians demanded more electricity to keep their Chardonnay chilled. You could see their constitutional collective trying to lie low behind the hill. You could see all of the rich diversity of life from here. It was like a secluded hiding spot where you could spy on the depravity of humanity. And right in the middle of it all, sitting on the hill, was the grand church now firmly etched in my memory. The apartment was worth a whole load of candy, but then Daddy Mallory was rich and knew the right people in the right places to get this zip code for a steal. It may not even be legal. She had the sleek squared off furniture that was all a rage, designed by some top-notch Italian designer sliding all over the concrete and marble flooring. It was slick, elegant, and refined. We went to a spare room with a single bed currently covered in her clothes. It surprised me. I thought she would be neater. She wiped her arms over the bed, knocking all the clothes onto the floor. I tried on several outfits before I came out, she said sheepishly. She disappeared, leaving Mina and me alone for a few moments. In her state of unconsciousness, she looked angelic. Her golden curls rolled around her slender face. With her eyes closed, you could see the perfection of her skin. There wasn't one blemish. She had never been out in the sun when the summer came. She was calm. Lara appeared back with an armful of medical supplies. She cut through the silky material, peeling back the folds to reveal the cut. Blood trickled down her body. Lara soaked it up with some soft cotton balls. Wiping the area clean revealed it to be a light cut, still deep enough to cause concern, but not fatal. I went out onto a deck overlooking the city to get some air. The sight of the injury had shocked me more than I had expected and I had found my hands shaking and my head was spinning. I took in a couple of lungfuls of clean air brushing in from the desert. The war had taken its toll on outlying areas, forcing us all into this dust bowl full of diesel particles and malcontent ideology built around the worst of human distraction. You get the occasional scavengers out in the plains, scraping together a subsistence living until the rogue mechanoid monsters designed by the war geniuses came and ripped them apart. But the air was clean and you could grow fresh food in the small allotment of time life dealt out to you, usually off the bottom of the deck. But the confounding thing was, it was always their choice. The uncertainty of daily existence was better than living here. No one made them go and no one made us stay in this cesspit. From this height you could see the flares from the occasional mech warrior as it toasted some trapped folk. What have we done to our world? What were we doing to ourselves? My hands were still shaking. I turned back away from the city and went in to see how Lara was progressing with her medical attention. After a few moments she had the wound cleaned and dressed. 
Lara stood back from tending to Mina's injury. She had some pretty crazy ramblings. Delirium hit her hard from the blood loss. I hope she pulls through. Mina's face was as pale as a sheet. We tried to give her some water, but she was out for the count. We left her and went back into Lara's deck overlooking the city. She poured herself a drink measured in inches in a glass you could almost stand an umbrella in, then did the same for me. We stood for a few moments wrapped in silence as Lara stared out into the middle distance. It would be a better man than I to know what she was thinking. You know what I'm thinking? It's all a mystery to me. Who is the they she was talking about? I took a sip from the bucket then leaned forward into the balustrade. She says it's the mob. That makes sense. They got people everywhere. Worst place you can be is somewhere where there are records and a phone. You don't think it's the mob? She blearily glanced at me, placing her hand between us on the balustrade. I shrugged. I didn't know much anymore after the last few strange days. She said mob, but the mob didn't wrap itself up in the occult. The word bouncing around my head was death cult. Some delusional loons with a religious attitude and overzealous approach to a disproportionate distribution of essential fluids. Mainly blood. She was saying that Hugh had a gun or some weapon that would be helpful against them. Maybe one of those old mech weapons from the war? She gave me a casual glance. I made no response. She said he had hidden it. That sounds a bit strange to me. We're living in strange days. Better than the end of days. She said, and then let out a half laugh. It wasn't overly funny, and she realized as soon as she had said it. I guess we all have to face our end of days. Maybe Mina's tonight. She's tough. Her talk certainly is, and she's funny. She had a distant look in her eyes. I gave her a sideways look. Sometimes I wish I could be a bit more like that. Funny girls always get the best guys. I wouldn't change you. She gave me a smile and a slight bump, shoulder to shoulder. It would be funny if we ended up friends. No, it wouldn't. No need to get jealous, lover boy. She knocked back the rest of her drink and then went back in for a refill. You want a refill? She called. She turned on the wireless and some old time jazz filtered out into the night. I declined the offer, still having a gallon left in the glass. To put more in, the glass would need another story. We didn't get to dance. That was going to be my mission tonight. The tinkling of glass on glass floated out as the bottleneck bounced off the rim of her bucket, and the quiet of the city rolled up the scarp. Tell me about the final. I called over my shoulder. We don't know much, but it's a violent party house run by the mob. They use it for various illegal dealings. You can't shut it down. No. She reappeared with her engorged vessel and fell to the brim. It certainly looked like she was on a mission. Their influence runs too deep in the government and services. It makes the IA a joke half the time. Most of the corruption is at the top and we can't do anything about it. She had an expression that was half anger and half futile despair. The poor girl was being forced into a life of no consequence, and that would drain the goodness and charity out of anyone. She was succumbing to the effects of her drinks and started to lean in closer, either for support or supposition. She ran her hand down my arm, feeling at the curve of the muscle. She closed her eyes as if remembering a distant memory. You're a big guy, but you hide it well. She let out another of those inappropriate laughs that told you exactly what she was thinking. I felt we needed a diversion. You heard of a rude? A rude what? Just that. 
Rude. Isn't it one of those old words, Latin or something? I'm guessing it means rod or pole. She giggled in a fashion more menacing than innocent. My classics education was waylaid by my interest in boys, especially when they started wearing sheets. And then when the Greek gods came out, I don't recall anything until my 16th birthday, except flushing a lot and when reading the things I used to get up to. Most of it's illegal these days, but I still like to try them. She let out a low and very unladylike chortle. Her mind was dropping below the waistline faster than a knock free of its lure. Her head leaned forward and she collapsed forward, catching herself and theatrically opening her eyes wide. She needed the bed. I need to go. She reached out and placed her hand on my arm. Oh, please, don't. Please stay. Her eyes started to close again. You'll be asleep in a minute. No, no, no. Bed, yes. Sleep, no. She shook her head with passion, but she knew she was on a losing stretch. I made my way to the door and let myself out. She called out after me. You must hug me before you leave. Give me that. She came tottering over, closed her eyes, and purred like a contented kid. I'd believe every inch of her was touching me, wrapped so tight she could keep an Egyptian mummy fresh for centuries. Then she stepped away, recovering her composure. I always keep a key under the pot, the small one. She indicated a ceramic planter by the door. For special friends. If I'm out, you can come and make yourself at home. She was slowly twisting back and forth with nerves and stress pouring off her. But I would prefer it if you didn't use it because if you stayed, well... It would signify something important to me, and you wouldn't need it. She leaned forward, her hips swaying gently. In the moonlight, there was no denying her angelic beauty wrapped around a vulnerability that would make weaker men weep. There was no greater vision of perfection on the planet than her. She appeared to float closer, almost reaching out for me, crying for that human touch that gets us through the darkest hours of the night. My father once told me our greatest regrets are for the things we don't do. Then he threw me out onto the streets. We stood in the doorway staring at each other. I looked into her deep green eyes and I felt everything slip sideways. The world stopped spinning and we were caught in that blissful moment that every tortured soul quested an eternity for, dreamed of, and would ultimately die for. I turned away and walked out. She deserved far better than me. You walk the streets at night. You hear things. You learn things. You listen out for people talking and sometimes you walk away a little wiser and a little bit dirtier. Sometimes buried among the small talk of client hotspots and new diseases, you get the insane or so far drunk they don't make much sense, and then you don't learn things. But at least it's entertaining. Tonight was different. Everyone had their mouths zipped tight. People scattered in the darkness with their dead eyes and haunted faces sheltering from their own demons, their imaginations making them solid. And always flustering at the edge of my perception was the constant flapping of those damn birds. The moon was still as large as an incoming baseball and it was lobbing its way across the clear dark night sky. A small bat soared past, its wings outstretched silhouetted against the glowing orb of the night before it dove away screeching its traditional mating call. 
I was drawn back to the comments of Angelina. They never give up. The wind picked up, blowing dust into my face. I held up my hand, shielding my eyes from the dry, blustery wind. They never give up until one of you is dead. I had seen her diaper dispensers worth of disposable, skinny, blind things all come to rest at the foot of the reaper. To this point, I had assumed that they were different ones. How do you kill something that is designed to kill you and is unkillable? I stopped in my tracks. You don't. And it was all a butcher's worth of baloney. I shook my head at the preposterousness of it all. I was getting wound up by some highly strung girls over-caffeinated, over-emotional and lost in their lives, dragging me down with them, and they had me looking for a lazy explanation to a bunch of coincidences. A couple of penny hookers lined the streets, flashing anywhere as they had, but more often than not they were just a bunch of peroxide-enhanced surfboards skinned down through whatever addiction kept them there. More examples of lazy solutions to difficult predicaments, probably the only course of action an adult brain could choose. At first I didn't notice them turn and stare after me as I wandered by. It was common practice until they realized you weren't looking for a good time. Then you were blocking their trade and they treat you as such. But these skinny blondes just stood there draped in oversized leather jackets and durable secrets with their torn fishnets and dead, hungry eyes wanting and craving. They hung in space almost timeless waiting. I cautiously made my way along the street trying to keep as far away from the freak show as possible. There was commotion from behind me. I glanced back over my shoulder. Something flashed past me on my opposite side. I spun around, but nothing was there. The hooker directly opposite me flashed a smile devoid of humor. I glanced away to the next one along and then was knocked back with a sudden blow to my shoulder. I took a couple of stabilizing steps back. The hooker was gone. There was a powerful blow against my back. I took a step then spun on the spot. There was another flash of white behind me leaving the scent of cheap perfume and sweat. Then there was another blow straight to the back of my head. It drove me to the ground and made my mind spin like someone had taken to me with a piece of the transcontinental railway track. I shook my head and spat out a mouthful of blood onto the black top. There was a sudden intake of air, a gasp of excitement, of shock. It was hard to tell with my ears clanging with the full volume of the cathedral ringers. I looked up. The hookers were forming up into a circular line around me. In unison, they all took one step closer, then another. There was a high-pitched squeal at the edge of my hearing. Then they all stopped and as one turned and looked back down the street at a distant figure standing on the corner in the perfect darkness between the street lights. I squinted toward the corner, but the wind and the dark made it difficult to make out. There was movement and I blinked a couple of times as a couple of eddies blew up some dust into my face. I shook my head in disbelief. The street was empty. I recalled the memory of the sinister figure. It was impossible to be sure, but it sure looked like Phoenix.